Oh Lord, would you open up our hearts and our minds now to hear your word. God, even without you, we cannot understand the scriptures. We need your Holy Spirit to come and enliven us and open ourselves up to whatever you have to say. We ask this now humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we are continuing our new sermon series called Resurrected Life. And if you were here on Easter Sunday, you heard us talk about that the risen Jesus renews us for a resurrected life. A resurrected life, yes, for eternal life with him forever, but also a resurrected life now. A renewal of our hearts and minds and souls that we might live the abundant life that God has so designed us to live. And in this series, we're going to be looking at what has been traditionally called the seven deadly sins. We're going to be looking at what they are, why they are deadly, and how we might be able to overcome these deadly vices and live vibrant, resurrected lives. And at the start of the series, I need to give you three principles about sin uh, that's going to help set the context for what's coming. And I encourage you, if you take out your notes, you're going to need a pencil or a pen for this sermon because there's a, a bit more teaching than we usually have, and you're going to need that to help maybe put into context and understand what we're saying this morning. So let me give you quickly three principles about sin that's going to help us understand this. Uh, number one, the first is this. Sin is deadly. Sin kills. Sin destroys. Sin separates us from God. It's evil. It's wicked. And God hates it, and we should too. Wouldn't you hate something that destroys the souls of people you love? That is how God views sin in us. And many people, we don't treat sin as seriously as we should. Uh, the reality is, in general, sin is deadly. But we're going to be talking about seven deadly sins, which the church over time has identified. These sins are particularly deadly because they are kind of gateway sins. They produce other sins within us. They are the root of many other sins in our lives. So it's deadly. We have to understand that. The second principle is sin must be named. Sin is so deceitful. Our enemy is so tricky. And things eventually that are harmful to us, they get renamed. So pride, which we're going to be talking about today, it gets, it gets called good self-esteem. Or we talk about lust. It's now, it's now self-expression. Uh, treating people with anger and harshness is, man, that's just telling it like it is. That's okay. Or greed is now stewardship. Or gluttony and sloth, they are now self-care. The reality is, we have to name sin for what it is, or we will be deceived. Just as a doctor has to diagnose what is going on to treat the sin, so must we. Name sin, confess it, and renounce it so that we can find new life in Christ. We have to name it. And the third principle is this. We can and must overcome sin. We talked about this last week with Jesus' resurrection. That Jesus' risen life and the power of the Holy Spirit empower us to live a new life. So I'm, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about a, a habitual, a consistent way of life that is vibrant, that is full of freedom and full of joy, that is overcoming sin on a regular basis. The good news is we don't have to live defeated. Uh, listen to what Paul says in Romans 8, 12. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to it. Uh, it's, um, if, or if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
So what Paul is saying, you have to put to death those sins, those things that, that keep us away from the life in Christ. And there's many names that this process goes by. Some people call it discipleship or spiritual formation or sanctification. We call it all kinds of names, but part of it is we're becoming like Christ, and that part of that is renouncing the old dead way that's been crucified. Puritan pastor John Owen says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. It's deadly. We have, we have the ability and we must, on a consistent basis, overcome sin in our lives. And so today, that's our three principles to set the context for the series. You'll be hearing those again. But today we're going to be specifically discussing the deadly sin of pride. Uh, what the church tradition has said, this is the root of it all. This is the, the capital sin of capital sins. This is the root of everything. So we're going to be talking about, well, what is pride? Why is it so deadly? I'm going to give you an example of who is prideful in the scriptures. And uh, we're going to talk about when it begins and how we can overcome it through the power of Jesus Christ. So let's talk about what is pride. What is pride? It goes by some other names. Some people call it arrogance. Some people call it conceit. Uh, but pride, to me, the best that I can think of it, it's, it's a lopsided or disordered view of oneself, God, and others. It's viewing yourself too high than you ought, and it's viewing God and other people way too low. It's a disproportionate view of God, yourself, and others. And so pride, it, it brings death to all those relationships. It brings death to our, to our relationship with God, to our relationship with other people, and to our view and relationship to ourselves. So let me break that down a little bit. This is why I really, I really want you to take notes. You're, you're going to need this. And I'm kind of pointing out some symptoms, if you will, of how pride works itself out in our lives. So as far as our relationship, relationship to God, it usually leads to what's called practical atheism. Look what the psalm says in Psalm 10.4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him and does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. You see, when pride takes root in our heart, we, we, we have the, it's the ultimate self-confidence and self-trust. And I think one of the great marks of pride in our lives is prayerlessness. It's the idea that, you know, I got this. I'm fine. The idea that I can go about my day and not, and not need to bow my heart and life before the maker of the universe. It's wanting life to be under our control and to have the power to do what we want to do. So pride, it leads us away from a life that's dependent upon God and the Holy Spirit. And it leads to living as if God doesn't really exist. Living in our own means. Practical atheism. So that's how it brings death to relationship with God. Well, how about a relationship with others? And here's a few symptoms of how this works out with our relationship with others. One is intellectual pride. Paul wrote, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And so he says, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. The moment you think you know something, you're, you're actually being prideful. You're actually not knowing the way you're supposed to know. So pride, this keeps us from listening to other people well. And if you're thinking about this, you begin to wonder, well, what kind of degrees does this person have? Well, what, what kind of experiences, what kind, do they really have the credibility to, to, really, to really speak something truthful? Instead, we have, we, to become humble, we begin to realize that anybody around us is our teacher. We can learn from anybody, especially those in the body of Christ. Paul says we can teach and admonish one another. So our, 
Intellectual pride keeps us from listening to each other. It also leads to superficial judgments. This is when you begin to judge people on their outward appearances, or maybe what clothing they wear, perhaps on uh, you know, where, where they went to school, or how much money they make, what kind of car they drive, what kind of house they have. You begin to judge people on the superficial things of life. And this also can lead to discrimination. These are some of the horrible things that we see in our world today. The sexism, the racism, the classism, the ageism. The ways that we other, we put other people in a category and we put ourselves above them so we can feel better about ourselves. That's how pride takes root. Can you begin to see how deadly this sin can be? And finally, with ourselves, it can lead to many symptoms. Uh, one famous cousin of pride is called vainglory. Vainglory or empty glory. And vainglory is simply living for the praise of other people. It's basing your identity upon what other people say about you. The accolades, the awards, the trophies, the, the, even just the, the, the praise or criticism of other human beings. It can either build you up or destroy you. It's so deadly. So you begin to value your, your life on other people's opinions, which is so fleeting, instead of on God's opinion of you as a child of God. This can also lead to uh, exaggerated sensitivity. It's an unwillingness to hear your own faults. Maybe not an unwillingness to hear advice or rebuke. And finally, it can lead to a, a false sense of security. A false sense of security. Pride makes us think that we're actually more invincible or powerful than we really are. We, and we think we can, we can protect ourselves, through our, whether it's through our insurance or through our money or through our positions. And we think, life's just going to go fine for me. And really, you're not dependent upon God. And so little do we know, pride comes before the fall, right? All right, so that was, what is pride? <laughs> hope you got all that. I hope you took some notes. Those are some ways that pride manifests, manifests itself in our life. And I hope you're seeing why it's deadly. But let's dive in a little more. Why is pride so deadly? Why is it so deadly in our lives? And one reason is God hates pride. God hates it. He hates pride. This is, this is amazing. Look at Proverbs 16, 5. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. I mean, can we get a clear, more clear promise in the scriptures than this? In the passage that uh, Dan Dilber just read, that amazes me, it says, God opposes the proud. And that word in the Greek, it's this idea of being arrayed in battle. God is ready to go battle against those who are prideful of heart and opposed to his ways. Could it be a more scary position to put yourself in that? I mean, that is scary. That is terrifying. God is determined to bring down and cast down those who are prideful of spirit and heart. I mean, think about that old story, the Tower of Babel. What do they say? We want to build this tower to what? To make a name for ourselves. And then what does God do? He comes and he, he confuses their languages and he destroys the whole project. He says, no, I will not stand for pride. Because pride is, the, is trying to bring glory to one's own self. When we were created, my friends, to bring glory to God and God alone. So God has to stand in opposition to pride. So it's deadly because God is opposed to it. It's also deadly because pride is tricky and deceitful. Jonathan Edwards said that pride is the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all sins. Of all sins. 
And so the second that you think that this sermon isn't really applying to you, it's, it's the very moment that you need it. That's how tricky it is. I mean, that's a prideful thought in and of itself. Because we have to have the humility to hear whatever that God might have for us. So it's tricky. And it's also deadly because pride destroys community. It destroys community. Proverbs 13.10 says, Where there is strife, there is pride. So if there's quarreling, if there's arguing going on in the church, if there's fights going on in your family, usually the, probably the root of it all is pride. The unwillingness to admit that you might be wrong, that you might not see the picture fully, unwillingness to admit your mistakes and ask for forgiveness. So pride, it destroys communal life. It'll destroy churches, it destroys families, destroys all kinds of things. Pride keeps us from sharing these struggles and weaknesses with one another and sharing that true life that God has designed the body to live. So who was prideful in the scriptures? Who was prideful? What example can we think of? And the answer is probably everybody. <laughs> Except for Jesus and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, God's exempt. Uh, but probably everybody. But the example that I can think of maybe that's most helpful for us is Adam and Eve. You think about that story, and Satan comes to them and he tempts them and he says, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. And so they eat, they eat that fruit and they want to put themselves as the master of their own lives so that they can determine right and wrong for themselves. And so they become, they elevate themselves and they have a lower view of God. The audacity to disobey their maker and their creator. The prideful spirit of saying, yes, I want to determine right and wrong for myself. And I'm going to go, I'm going to make myself the own Lord of my life. I mean, isn't this humanity's problem? Isn't this the problem since the beginning? Trying to usurp God's rightful place as the king of our lives. Trying to bring glory to ourselves instead of to him. This is an example of how pride works itself out in our lives. So if pride's so deadly, you might want to understand some warning signs of when pride might be beginning uh, to take root in your life. When does pride begin? When does it begin? What are some warning signs? I'm going to give you three warning signs. First is pride often follows prosperity. Pride often follows prosperity. Look at what God says in Deuteronomy to the people. He says, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see, prosperity has a way of making us think that we're secure, that things are fine, that life is good. And God even says it, it is the trap by which you begin to forget him in your life. Pride begins to take root in your heart. So you got to be careful. And I think that's a warning to every one of us living in such a prosperous land in a prosperous time. That pride is so easy to take root in our, in our hearts in this context, in this setting. So we got to be careful. A second warning sign is pride follows position. Second Chronicles 26 says, After King Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Often when you get maybe a promotion or a new position, even maybe in your workplace or at church, it can even lead to you having some sense of a superior, superiority over others. So pride can follow our positions. 
And then the third warning sign is pride follows performance. Pride follows performance. And the example I think of this is the famous story that Jesus gives us with the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, that I don't do wrong, but that I fast t- t- twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Aren't I so good? You see, that's why pride is so tricky. Even good things, even things we do for God, even the religious things, even the spiritual things of our lives, they can be turned over against itself because of pride. You can say, oh God, I thank you that I really got into the blessed series. I've been beginning with prayer. I've been inviting people over to eat. I've been sharing my story. Okay, I couldn't resist. I had, I had to recap that series for you. But, but seriously, we can take pride in this stuff and it can take root in our lives. So I hope by this moment in the sermon, you are hoping for some relief. You're hoping for some victory over pride. <laughs> so I want to give you some things. How can we overcome this? Because this, this sermon series, it's meant to be hopeful. We have to look at the disease of sin, but I want all of you to experience new life and healing in Christ. And so I want to give you some practices that might help us find that resurrected life in Christ. So let me give you a few. One is cultivate humility whenever and wherever you can. This happens by looking to the cross. You know, Paul says in that famous passage passage in Philippians, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who did not consider his equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, but he became humble, even to the point of death on a cross. Let the cross be the attitude of your heart towards God, towards others, towards yourself. Another practice we can do is submit yourself to God. That's the passage Dan read in the scriptures. is right after saying, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He says, therefore, submit yourselves to God. This is repentance. This is drawing near to God and saying, yes, God, you are God, and I am not. Jesus is Lord, and therefore I am not. And what freedom comes from admitting that? To say, you know, I don't have to have control over everything. I don't have to have control over my life. Jesus is Lord. He's got this. Let him be the risen Lord in your life. Another practice we all need is worship. You know, Sunday is the first day of the week you got to start off your week by saying, God, this week isn't about me, it's about you. That's why we start our week off like this. It's to set the tone for the rest of our week. Pastor Jason Meyer says this, it's on the screen, he says, Ultimately, pride, it's a worship issue. We cannot think about ourselves less unless we think about something else more. The rivers of self-forgetfulness flow down from the Godward heights of worship. He is the only God and the only sovereign. You know, that's why we have to sing songs like, How great thou art. How great you are, God. How small am I. I submit my life to you. Another practice we need is a lifestyle of prayer. I said in the beginning, prayerlessness, I think, is one of the ultimate forms of pride. We have to cultivate a lifestyle of dependence on God. I'll be the first to admit this is an area I need to grow in. To cultivate a lifestyle of prayer, of dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You know, I think Jesus, he taught us to pray for our daily bread because we need to go to God every day. We need God to provide for our needs every day. And last week's prayers don't make up for today's prayers. 
We have daily need of God, moment by moment, asking God to renew our lives. Another practice that we need is practice the, the practice of gratitude. We have to recognize that everything that we are, everything that we have been given, every gift you have, every talent you have, every dime you have, it all has been given by God, has it not? I mean, even the ability to grow in our talents is given by God. I mean, should a plant praise itself for its ability to grow leaves? No. When we grow in our abilities, it's all because God has so allowed and ordained it for that to happen. So we give God thanks for even the good things in our lives. And finally, the last practice, and these are all important, but one of the most important is submit to one another in community. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I believe this is a practice that is it's extremely hard to do. Most people have lost it in our culture. Many churches have lost this, the ability to do this. But it means submitting to the wisdom of other people in your life, in the body of Christ. It means when you have an idea to make a proposal and say, you know, this is, this is how I see things, but I submit it to you. What do you think? Can we work on this together? Submitting to one another, it means listening really well. It means being slow to speak, quick to listen, and willing to accept advice, critique, even rebuke from other people if it's all done in love. You know, I think for many of us, we think about pride and we say, yeah, I can see that I need God. I can admit that. But pride will also keep you from realizing that you need one another. Pride will keep you from realizing that you need other Christians in your life, supporting you, encouraging you, building you up, being a part of the body of Christ. Pride will keep you away from, from church, from small groups, and thinking, yes, I got this on my own. Pride will lead you away from community. The reality is we all need other Christians in our life to support us, to grow us, to help us, to give us accountability, to pray for us. We need this. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that we have the hope of resurrected life through Jesus Christ. That pride, it's already been defeated on the cross. It's already defeated. And I remember the, the sermon illustration from Angela last week. The, the handcuffs are already off. You just have to walk through. You have to walk in the victory that Christ has already won for you. Let him renew your life. Let him restore your life. Invite him in to root out pride in your life so that you might live a renewed, resurrected life here today. Let us pray. God, we bow our hearts, we bow our heads. We bow before you. And we say, God, you are God and we are not. You are Lord. That means we are not. God, we submit our lives to you. We repent. We turn to you. We renounce the sin of pride in Jesus' name. We ask for the spirit of humility, the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ, to go to the cross. We pray that that attitude and that heart would be in us that we might live cross-shaped lives, lives of humility before you and before others, 
recognizing that you are the giver of all good things. We give you thanks for everything in our lives, for everything you've given us, for all of our talents, for all of our abilities, for all of our blessings financially and materially. God, we recognize it all comes from you. God, protect us. I pray protection over every heart in this room. Lord, that, that the gifts of prosperity, the positions of influence and power, Lord, that these would not be, uh, Lord, traps along the way, but that we would be set free forever from these things that keep pride in our hearts. God, would you renew and restore every heart in this room, including mine, to be humble, to be submitted to you and to one another. Help us learn from each other. Help us hear one another. Help us walk with one another through life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.